G'day and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We would like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we are fortunate enough to be speaking with Mary McCrabb from Avon Park Kelpies. Mary will be picking who she has asked the best question of the night and they'll win a bag of Enduro Plus Bionergy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hi Mary, how are you going? Going good, thank you. That's the way. How was your day? Oh, busy because we just started shearing today and mustering's on for keep the sheep up for the shearers. <laughs> and you're still doing all the mustering? No, but Ken was doing some of it and myself, but uh, the, the yard work now has mainly been done by other people. Um, yeah. We don't do much for the yard work. We can't be knocked over anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Do you, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, Mary, and where you're from and, and what you do? Yes, I've, uh, I was born during the war in England and um, I was born with a, a deformity which um, I wasn't able to really speak or um, uh, eat properly until I was age four. But what, one of the things that I remember most and made me closest to dogs of all was we had a Heinz 57 variety because my parents loved the do dogs and animals but this bitch was really supernatural because we um, had uh, uh, the German bombers coming over and we were um, rushed down from the bedroom to the uh, shelter where we, we were put when the when the siren went and then we always got the all clear this dog got to the stage that it could identify the sounds of the messersmiths the german planes but and it would run up the stairs and down barking but when it was the uh, allied planes going over the lancasters and the spitfires it just knew um and it was a great warning because this dog particularly um, could hear before the sirens went. So my family had time to get us down into the shelter. Now this particular dog no. was, was really um, probably my greatest mate when I was little because I was so backward until I was four. But then I always had an affinity with dogs in the UK and they've actually played all different breeds have played quite a big part in my life. Um, from uh, people around the district bringing me odd dogs to do something with and whatever. But that's uh, long before the Kelpies came along. Um, also, I was mad on horses. Yeah. Horses, dogs were my main um, thing. But my parents really, uh, my grandfather had a farm, but my parents, um, my father was in the um, had chemical factories and things, and um, uh, anyway, uh, I had to go down to the stables and muck out the boxes down there to be able to get a riding lesson and things. Yeah. Uh, and my parents often had very nice dinner parties, and who should arrive back full of dirt and muck and everything else? <laughs> it was me and. Um, I wasn't at all popular but anyway um 
I always wanted to be a vet, but because of my health problems, I was a, um, I passed all my normal exams and everything. But unfortunately, at that time, Latin was a very important part of the veterinary course. And my Latin, well, I wasn't really interested in Latin. And <laughs> it never, ever um, came to pass. Anyway, I, I left school and had... Uh, different jobs with on a Hereford stud and and um, because I've been training shorthand and typing, I got I could get jobs anywhere and in any field and it was really interesting. But about 1960 I was going fairly steady with a a, a, a bloke in um, in London and well anyway my father said to me, Mary, I think you It'd be better if you went to Australia. It would be better for your health, and um, I think you would find it the sort of uh, situation you'd enjoy. Well, at the time, I thought he was just trying to shove me off, and so that I didn't uh, go out with this particular person anymore. <laughs> anyway, my, father, my father was right. I got to um, Australia and really fell in love with the country and um, I got had several jobs around and then I came, started jillarooing up around the Deniloquin area and um, I um, was did all the mustering there, uh, there but I luckily had a, um, a gentleman from Deniloquin that was working there that showed me a fair bit about working dogs um, and then I also was allowed to uh, borrow a horse and join the Murray Valley Hunt Club, which came to Dunalkin with the hounds. And anyway, it was there that I met Ken and we got married and we moved to Ken's parents' place at Avenue Wanganella. And I was rather keen to get a German Shepherd, but Ken was desperately, no, you don't have German Shepherds on ship stations. So anyway, for my birthday, he gave me a Kelpie. And uh, she was a lovely Kelpie. And, and then we had bought another one and we had two Kelpies and we wanted to start learning more about them. Well, we were attending agriculture shows, but and then we were actually showing our kelpies because the two kelpies we had originally were red. But we just found that people that showed kelpies you know, on the bench knew nothing about their working ability. Okay. So um, anyway, we applied when the Working Kelpie Council started we applied to join as breeders. Well, because our Kelpies were red and we'd shown them, um, and at that time there was a lot of differing um, interests. The uh, kennel clubs did not want, really want to have anything to do with working Kelpies. They only wanted to see the red and the black ones. Anyway, when we applied to the WKC, we were told that um, we would have to be vetted before we could join because 
there was a, a bit of bench blood in our culprits. So Ed Taylor from Cormbertook, who was a, a trialer, um, he came and stayed two days on the property and um, saw how our dogs worked and everything else um, and passed us into the WKC. Well, I, God, Ken and I would really like to say thank you to the Working Kelby Council because that put us in touch with the real working dogs and we were lucky to uh, meet up with Bert Bromham and he helped me particularly with the breeding side of the Kelpies and also with the trialling. I won my first three sheep trial when I, in 1968 and that had me hooked because um, the Working Kelpie Council were trying to take the Kelpie out of the yard and bring it more back to the paddock environment and um so anyway i really I, I have in that time in the 60s and 70s i had a lot of success with um the avon park copies and um mainly the burt bromham's glenville scanlon um bloodlines and also um at that time we'd met jeff jolly and um he helped us or help me particularly with um, the finer points of trialing. But it was always on at me. You'll never do any good with trialing if you don't have a collie. But, <laughs> but in that era, um, I actually did extremely well with a lot of dogs. One particular bitch, Avon Park Jan, she was by uh, Karawara Flipper. Um, she was probably the oldest novice dog I ever owned because she only ever, she placed me second, 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 <laughs> second healthy trial. And in the end, with my team of trial dogs, she was um, always worked first so she could help me assess the, the sheep and how they were working before my better dogs came <laughs> on the scene. But in... As well in 1968, Ken and I had two little boys, Colin and Peter, and we um, we had uh, friends from America visited us and were really wrapped in the Kelpies. And we sold, exported our first Kelpie in 1968 to Nebraska. Well, we we're going home to see my parents in England with the two little boys and do and also do a a combined wool wool tour and cattle and sheep and um, we were lucky enough to go to America and stay with these people and I was able to work the first dog we'd exported in America and and see all the um the, the problems that they have with their raccoon dogs, which are hunting hounds for raccoons and usually have some of their sheep absolutely terrified. But um, anyway, we, Ken and I were passionate about our merinos and the wool and we visited uh, wool boards in, in America and in England and saw my family as well 
anyway, I've talked enough for five minutes, so... Uh, You're okay. <laughs> How old were you when you first come across to Australia? 25, I think. Yeah, yep. 25, yep, yep. And, uh, but I really loved, I fell in love with uh, Australia and um, my parents kept saying, oh, when are you going to come home? <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't eventuate until Ken and I went home together and got engaged on the top of St Paul's Cathedral in London. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, but, and you mentioned that you were jillarooing around the... Um, the Nellyquin area, is that where you first came? You came into the, the southern part of New South Wales when you came to Australia or were you somewhere else and found your way there? I worked in Melbourne in an office and worked up in Brisbane at Flying Doctors Service because, as I said, uh, shorthand typists and bookkeepers were really, um, um, you know, you could get a job anywhere. and. Yep. Um, actually, I was very grateful to my father because I wanted to do show jumping when I left school. And my father said, you get a trade before you go anywhere. And, and again, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very wise. <laughs> and, uh, and it enabled me to get jobs on farms and jobs anywhere. But uh, anyway, when we, we were first married, Ken and I... Ken did a lot of, um, well, he was one of the first mulesing contractors and he was off property a lot of the time. And that's when I had to learn to depend on the dogs to do the sheep work. But we were only small in 3,000 acres then, but we were, um, we were breeding some pretty good merinos and we were entered into the Country Life Merino U competition which brought us in contact with um, the Department of Agriculture, who um, Bob Easto, who was the judge. And this connection with the Department of Agriculture was one of the reasons why we ended up sending dogs to, um, to our trained to work sheep that went to South Korea in well, I can't remember all the dates. And then they also contacted me to um, send a dog to Mexico. And a lot of the dogs that I've export exported were actually um, going to government aid. Um, yep. And um, the, the dogs I've trained for um, Avonpart, Mick and Avonpart Monty for South Korea, they were... Um, I train them with noises rather than with sort of shh noises rather than um, language or whistles because I wasn't to know who was going to work them when they got there. Your South Korean wasn't up to scratch? <laughs> no, my South Korean was not up to scratch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, hmm? yes, you've Laura. done a few... Um, Train dogs for movies, I've heard. How many dogs would you say you've done training-wise for movies? Well, it started in, in England when I worked for um, a, a, a film or a film company that made adverts, but they used to hand out lunch vouchers, so we'd go into Soho to the pubs and have a very nice lunch. Well, there was one of these pubs was a 
a big Great Dane, and he was getting a bit savage towards um, the patrons. So I used to take him back home at weekends uh, in my little Morris Minor with a head out one one back window, <laughs> the other back window. But he um, ended up being um, understudy for the Hand of the Baskervilles, and we also did a um, a television series where he had to play the part of a dog illegal, illegally smuggled into into England with rabies. Um, <laughs> so the reason I got into the moving in, dusting in, um, Mount Wall, why the Working Calvary Council asked me to, if I was interested. Hello? Yeah, right. yeah, we've got you. Oh, oh, sorry, I've gone to desktop. Oh, no, we're back. Um, Just give it a shake. Give this mouse a stir. Anyway, they came, um, they came to me to train the dogs for the Dusty movie and Dingoes because they knew I'd had some sort of film experience. Um, and that, uh, that was in 1981 and... We bred, we had the Dusty Star, we bred eight puppies to do them, to go from baby to to the full-grown adult. And uh, we also um, I had two Morocco Collies and the Dingoes, which came out of the wild, and they were really, really hard to deal with. But going back to Kelpies, Ken and I expanded our Merino stud Merino organisation, and um, we were successful in various um, uh, weather trials and things. And people suggested to us perhaps we should form a Merino stud, so which we did. And we also in '65 um, commenced with a quarter horse stud. And in 1979. We auctioned 50 rams, 12 working dogs, and eight horses. Wow. And the, old, the eldest uh, auctioneer said he'd never, never had those three things in one combination. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, we've gone, Ken and I have gone on to expand um, through hard work and not really always being able to afford um, employees. Uh, and when we handed, we've got two boys and both interested in the land. And in 97, we had a total of, of 41,000 acres by then. And um, we were able to divide the, the properties up. They were in two separate properties to um, to our sons, but we'd had some very hard times during the, um, while we'd been looking after the place. Um, I had cattle on the road and we bought a property um, north of Avenue and we, Ken and I, would float the horses up and we'd uh, walk the sheep, take five, five days to walk the sheep back here to Avenue. Yep. And over the years, we've um, 
we wouldn't have managed at all without the dogs and the horses at the time. And then we went from horses to motor vehicles, and now we're into Polaris's. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, Tracy Huxtable, who's from the UK, has asked, how would you compare Kelpies of today from past Kelpies working ability-wise? I think they've changed. Um, I, um, I think um, yard dog trialling has um, changed uh, them a lot. Um, I started the first yard, tri yard dog trial in Deniloquin in 1989, and we even ran a championship. But I did, and I judged, and I ju and started a, a um, yard dog trials in Corowa and Shepparton and. Uh, hay, but at that time I really didn't have a yard dog, a, a, a true competitive yard dog. But um, in those days, the the course, the courses were quite different. They wherever you went, pit, well, one place where I built a course, I put a foot bath in with water in it, to, um, just to make something different. But now. They're pretty um, straightforward, but um, oh, we've always been interested in the utility type dogs who will probably be better in the paddock, but have yard ability. Mm -hmm. So on from that, Jan Lowings asked, um, she said, hi Mary, how do you think the popularity of yard trials has affected the development of the breed overall do you really want to know the truth yeah <laughs> well i don't think it's doing um too many people are breeding um just from a good winning yard dog and not all a, a, a very good say we have a good well, if there's a good utility dog, that's different. But if it's a good yard dog, a lot of them are losing their ability to gather and their mob responsibility out in the paddock. Um, I think it's a very good sport for people. But I think that... Um, well, it's it's said about uh, border collies that a lot of the three sheep trial border collies winning ones could not move a mob of five hundred sheep. Um, yep. And um, well, that that's a bit like there are a lot of collies like that, but there are also a lot of very good collies. But that's my, my opinion of yard. I think people should enjoy it, but just think twice about the the breeding side of it. What you are aims for your breeding. Yeah. So, what type or style of dog do you personally prefer? An all round style of dog, but it's I've always looked. Ken and I've always looked 
for dogs that break out in cast. Um, when we were first breeding, there were a lot of people that didn't know very much about dogs. They worked them with another dog and um, did what dad did and um, even chained them to another dog to, to go out. And um, we realised what farmers needed and that was for a dog, whichever, wherever it was sent from, behind you, in front of you, anywhere else, had the natural ability to break out wide and gather what could be seen. Yeah. And um, and that and we did try to breed that sort of dog, and we're still trying to breed that sort of dog, but we've also um, tried to get a bit more bark and backing ability in, but whilst doing that, I found um, I lost probably a little bit of uh, cover and dogs that wouldn't always tuck the wings in when you were driving. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that that happens all the time. And tell us a little bit about your current team then. Well, um, the current team, well, I'm very lucky because Colin and Peter, um, both, and Ken, all like to run bitches. And I usually run the dogs because, as you well know, you don't take a bitching season to compete. Um, and uh, they all find their bitches probably much more faithful and and, and easier to work than the um, some of mm -hmm. the the Kelpie dogs that we've got here. Uh, but Pete's got 30,000 acres and, and more, and he works with very few, very little help with all his Kelpies. And Colin does, a, um, and Ken and I do a lot of the work here at Colin's because he's irrigating and he's often running six big diesel pumps that take a lot of attention. But cast, cast has always been something I and style and balance and is has been very important to us. What what kind of casting action do you like? Uh, probably a, 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 I don't not really like a pear shaped cast. I, I prefer a, a a rounded cast. And with a dog that will keep on looking. And the other thing that I was saying to you, my old, our old dogs, there were times when we were finished hearing on our northern property late and you'd have to work a mob of sheep away to a bore or a dam late at night. Our dogs were, if the dog came through the gate, and that's all you could see when the sheep came, you'd know that every sheep had come through the gate. We've also yep. got dogs here that still, if you're driving a big mob and you might go ahead to um, clear some sheep out of the way and that you've left the dog behind the mob, you can go back and wonder where the dog is. 
and you go back further and he's sitting beside a sheep that has gone down and he hasn't left that sheep to go and work the rest of the mob. He's responsible for the whole mob and that ability I think is actually being lost out of our Kelpies today. Yep. Mm -hmm. So do you prefer a team of similar dogs or do you like to have a pack of different dogs uh, with work styles and abilities? Well, um, possibly because I work the cattle and um, the sheep. Um, I do like, um, and we now share twice a year, um, you're not needing quite the push in the paddock because your sheep are not wool blind or um, I like the the steady eye dog that balances the opposite wing, but there are occasions, particularly with cattle, um, that you probably need a stronger dog, but I do back up my weaning the cattle with um, working healers. Healers were bred to heal. Kelby's aren't, and I think my Kelby's are too valuable when weaners are galloping out at them and they're having to block. I and I don't want them to go and get kicked. I'd rather have a healer who knows how to discipline to discipline them just mm -hmm. for weaning. We don't wear use them all the time, the healers, but we've got shorthorn cattle. They're very quiet, and sometimes the bulls get under a tree or whatever. But it's better to send the healer in than uh, mm -hmm. risk risk one of your best. <coughs> Definitely. Um, question here from Kane Gardner: What is your most influential dog to the Avon Park lines, and why? Well, that's very. Um, there was a dog called Avonpart Zondo many, many years ago, and he it he was a freak. He was himself a big, rough and tough dog. Um, he had little eye. He he I sold him as a pup, and he went through a couple of hands that couldn't control him, and I got him back as a four-year-old and re-broke him in and actually won the novice, the novice uh, uh, yard dog trial at Hamilton. But he went beautifully in the first round. But Zondo being Z Zondo knowing everything, when we came to the championship, well, Zondo packed his race so tight that the judge and I had to get him out to... <laughs> Him out of the race, and um, uh, well, he, he, it was just a scream. There he was with his head stuck out the front, packed up so tight there was no way he could, he could get out or do anything. Anyway, that was him. But he was used by many Kelpie breeders. He bred Capri Shep and um, oh Capri Badge and. He just was like an overdeveloped merino ram that put over the right sort of merino sheep. 
can produce a really good type of sheep. Um, he bred much better than himself, and um, if you look back through the pedigrees of a lot of Kelpie studs, he was a very big influence. Definitely. But I have, sorry, I have had others since. Mm -hmm. Would you like to tell us a bit about them? Well, um, we, we've had, uh, well, one of the dogs from a long time ago that also helped us a lot with this Karawara flipper that I've got from off Burt Brommen. His sire was Port Patrick Targe, and Targe was one of these casting dogs that kept on breaking out and breaking out to gather sheep. And, well, most of his progeny, I was able to work um, uh, win trials with, but he also um, produced these pups that were similar. And then we've since had a, another very strong dog called Avonpart Wump that has had a lot of influence in for our clients that have been working cattle from the Northern Territory down to um, Western Australia. He had a lot of presence, that dog. He also never barked, but he won me yard dog trials because he was, um, and three sheep trials, but he, he would bark and come back through and he'd never bark, but uh, he still managed to get the job done. So Joe Spice has asked, please tell us how you come to have Zondo and Scanlon's test, their pros and cons, the dogs behind them, and why Zondo combines so well with Lucky. Oh, uh, Scan's test was a very nice bitch. Well, I'm just trying to remember her breeding. Joe, you put me in a spot. <laughs> um, Scan's test was a lovely working bitch, but Tess never bred on very well. I don't know that we kept something that this happens in dogs. Sometimes a dog will breed on. This is why um, Zondo seemed to breed on from all different types of, um, uh, of, of bitches. Uh, and, and it wasn't just mine dogs that clipped. It was um, other people's lucky clipped extremely well. And there were other studs in Australia that were um, had very su uh, success. And that was nothing to do with my planned breeding. It it was a freak of um, of, of breeding, and and he was oh just trying to remember. I've got his pedigree on the somewhere on the kitchen table because we've just had an AI litter by him that, and the semen was thirty one years old, and we got wow. four puppies. Mm -hmm. Who was? That's pretty lucky to have pups. Um, by him still, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, but, uh, well, out of the four, uh, there's one ordinary one, but make it will make a very handy um, dog. There's a, a, a beautiful red and tan bitch that's got a lot of iron style and um, 
and there's another red and tan dog I've just got to check up on because I placed them and then we've had a cream bitch that's been a bit slow to start they were all fairly slow to start and that's not really in my kennel anymore and I was just wondering whether they threw back to some of the old older Karawar and Scanlon dogs where all the um, owners were on horseback and really didn't do very much with their pups until they were big enough to follow a horse. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's um, that's just a surmise. And why did you pick that particular bitch to use that Zondo semen? Because, and I don't know that it would... To be truthful, I don't know that it was the right bitch this okay. time. It was a very wide, um, beautiful, wide red and tan bitch that I three sheep trialed, and um, I joined her because I thought, I know you should breed like to like, but I just thought I might have got a combination of really nice paddock work with a bit more oomph from the Zondo line. Um, um, to breed, it, it's, to, well, it's a lot of hit and miss sometimes. I, I've had very little success with take, um, getting complete outcrosses in my stud. What are you looking for when considering a future joining? Speaking about like how you never normally use a total different dog, you normally go like to like. I've got, uh, we use Zondo out of a very, very forceful bitch, Melbourne um, Basil bitch, Melbourne Lucy, and everybody said they're going to be absolutely horrific <laughs> in, in um, uh, the, the, you know, they're going to be uncontrollable they're, and they're, and they, that turned out well. And we used Zondo over um, Steve Condell's um, Condover Pearl. We only yep. got one pup, which we called Grand, and Steve had a lot of, we shared her, but Steve had a lot of success trialling her. Um, yes, he was telling us about her last week. Pardon? And how, he was telling us about her last week. How much he liked her? No, well, she was a lovely bitch, and um, and and well, as I said, that's the only thing that with trialing, it's a question of time. I've always enjoyed trialing for learning about about dogs, but I could never really go because we were always working hard here out on the on the place that. Um, and as I said before, Ken also um, does a lot of sheep classing and wool class and wool classing and was away because we needed the money and uh, um, the dogs had well I had to have the dogs I had to do the jobs with the dogs and uh, uh, well oh but um, <laughs> yeah. So having bred some fantastic dogs and obviously you're a very competent trainer, 
How important is trainability or having a beautiful dog to you? Well, that's another mistake. I think I have got to at this time in life. I've always been really, really adamant about heading dogs. And I've we're now having some problems getting some of our heading dogs to have some <laughs> chuckling going on from Ken. I can hear the chuckling <laughs> in the back there. <laughs> because we um, when we, we do probably more droving than we do heading. Um, and uh, but heading to me and 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 heading and holding, um, well, it was uh, always our priority. And again, I mentioned we had Greg Prince doing schools here for thirteen years, and um, which was really great. Um, and his method of training was really good. And also the other thing that with that training, um, just go back to um, the, the heading and everything else and breeding, um, we had a lot of our clients come back with their progeny to the Greg Prince schools over many, many years, which enabled Ken and I to um, assess joining combinations whether they were good or bad or you'd see a pup or, or two pups out of a litter that wouldn't head or were shy or were something, um, well, we'd sort of say, well, we won't do that joining again. Mm -hmm. And we found these schools very, very helpful to our breeding program. So, um, and that was, and, and Greg was very good because I tried was asked to go to uh, give dog schools in Holland and I wanted Greg to go and do them. But he said, look, I've taught you enough. And so uh, back in 2007, um, we went to Holland and I did a, a dog training school in Holland, but I'd already done one in the USA and, um, and uh, following that, uh, People in Holland um, imported dogs, and then we had already sent dogs to Scandinavia. And the and Holland asked me to come back again, which I was very pleased about. Um, and we then did I did, then did a school up in um, Sweden and Norway, and yeah. some of our dogs had it or, or gone right up to the Arctic. And we had a fan working reindeer and we had a fantastic stay up there um, mustering uh, reindeer and um, and living in the Sami communities up there twice. Wow. And we also just, um, I recommended that they were actually better with a Huntaway dog than a Kelpie because they're bigger and they and the snow gets very deep. Yep. And uh, hunt, um, mustering reindeer would it be something that everybody's <laughs> witnessed or seen. How how's that different from what we do over here? Just a bit more dangerous. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, Ken had had a, a new knee at the time we were up there, and. 
um, they, uh, they they check the, the landscape for them. They, they, this particular family ran, um, well, a multitude of families ran 7,000 reindeer and they sort of have to wait. They think they know where they are. And, um, but anyway, Ken went on the back of a quad bike. Well, he said, I, well, I don't really know how he came back alive because they came. <laughs> it was over rock, rocks and stones and everything else. But the heading Kelpie had its place because if a reindeer turn, most of them follow a track. But yep. if they also, you have your um, rogue ones that want to take go off and um, and really and honestly in that terrain there is no way you can belt across to turn them in with a with a vehicle because they use jet skis or, or yeah uh, jet skis in the winter time and uh, quads in the summertime but they were just wonderful to us we went and helped them in in the yard they lasso each of the the calves and earmark them for the family that it belongs to, and um, they've still remained friends. They came down and stayed with us, and we, well, I introduced them to a lot of the uh, New Zealanders because I still thought that the Hunterway was more suitable for their job than the Kelpie, and um, yep. um, and they went and we see I had been president of the. An eloquent three sheep trial, so I'd got to know quite a few of the um, trialers and workers in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so how important is identifying natural strength in a pup or young dog compared to building it with age and experience to you? I like to see a bit when it's young because I do things with puppies differently to a lot of people. Once my puppies are weaned, or mum might only go in at night, I take them right away from other dogs and they have to follow me into a little uh, puppy training paddock where we have what we call play days. Um, and there are always three sheep in there and this would probably be at five or six weeks old because I want them to bond with humans not with other dogs and um even greg hadn't really thought about this until he came to avenue and saw how my puppies very soon go out or follow me like the pied piper of hamlin hamlin or like their mother uh, their mother and and they bond with and, and then bond with a person and while they're out there in this little plot, I usually assess them. Sometimes at six weeks old, they're trying to cover and hold and show a bit of eye. Um, I don't know that I can assess them for strength then. I think strength comes with um, growing up and being given confidence. But why we do this method of um, with the puppies is that we've had so many overseas orders and and um, all around Australia orders and we guarantee all our puppies, all our dogs to work. Um, 
if you can see them doing something at an early age, then our um, idea was then you could honour your guarantee. Well, you, it would, you'd know that the pup was going to be all right as a worker, but it wouldn't be so costly to send. Well, one of the furthest of our dogs went to Brazil, which was very expensive. Mm. Um, and and by able to assessing their, you know, their um, some of their ability um, early, we could then. Um, and being bonded very much with humans, we could send them, um, we could uh, dispatch them earlier to their new owners. See, we sold 10 dogs to Russia and they were mainly started all, well, we had 12 that we were going to send. And then when I took some of them to have their veterinary checks, they, their temperament wasn't suitable to take a trip like that mm -hmm. so we yep. ten. Mm? yeah yep. now i haven't okay. found anyway how many how many pubs do you think you've bred mary in 60 years how many <laughs> thousands and i and i i still i still say that there are more owners that should be shot than dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, but we, um, we've we actually, uh, what I do now is, I don't say they're going to be working stock by 12 weeks or uh, 12 months or whatever. And if a person isn't getting on with a dog early, like six, seven months, I, I ask them to bring it back and we assess the situation and if the person is not getting on with the dog at all well they're offered a, a replacement um because often it's a temperament clash and that's something you can't really assess when you are placing a pup with a person yeah absolutely and what sorry and while we're there in your eyes what makes a good sire Well, I like to have a, a good type of Kelpie, but the Kelpie, anything that we keep as a sire, well, no dog or bitch is bred from here unless they are proven station workers. Um, we just don't breed on bloodlines. Um, they've got to do all the general work here, um, cattle, sheep, rams, using lambs, everything and then when we think they're they're good enough then we will use them for breeding question here who has been your number one sire for all-round station work at home in your opinion at the moment or over time oh dear uh Well, uh, when it comes to progeny testing, I would suggest um, you said for a sire. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, for progeny testing, I suppose Zonda would have put made the biggest influence on the our stud and probably um, um, 
put us on the map with Kilpies. Um, but there have been other dogs we've had here that um, that, that uh, have done well. But I do, you have a question, I think, down in your thing on your list about um, outcross, mm -hmm. outcross um, SARS. We've had outcross SARS. Um, and complete outcross size and then uh, one was a dog called Chondo Rusty he was a um, bred in Queensland and won all the three sheep trials up there and was a very nice red and tan dog but he just did not click with our bitches and mm. um, so I try to keep some of our lines back in the pen. if I see a good dog working and i really like him i'll go back and go right back through his pedigree and see whether he's got enough of what i'm really looking for um to use so a question here from Catherine atkinson who's in the uk do you think that you can get a kilby which has a natural searching cast Breaks out wide naturally from stock with true feel, as well as it being biddable. She says, generally from the dogs you see in the UK, dogs with that true instinct where they don't have to teach, where you don't have to teach them to break out from stock, she's found it very hard to find lines that are also as biddable as some others. If you can get a dog which can truly do both well, which bloodlines would you have gone to historically for them and which bloodlines would you go to today? I, uh, I, I um, exported dogs to the UK in '86. Um, we had a an English Shepherd came here, and she used to do contract lambing in the UK. And I sent, um, knowing the size of the paddocks and everything over there, I sent um, kelpies that I would that had reasonable casts and um forbidable um over there and they were successful and then she came back and got and we looked around for something similar and we sent over a glenn logie dog because at the time i was thinking about the gene pool being small i've sent um I sent dogs to the UK just recently with had um, wide casts and biddability. But people have to remember that the Kelpie was bred originally for its independence. This big um, stock group we've got out here where we are, um, the Shepherds had no fences and they would leave a Kelpie out on the wing of a big mob of sheep and never see that Kelpie all day because the Kelpie was bred to think for itself. And that can make it difficult and difficult if the dog doesn't get enough work. Um, if I see a situation like that, I often suggest that a person gets a collie that, and because the collies are, have a ton of ability and they're very, 
um, biddable and actually sometimes they're too biddable. They wait for commands before they actually do it. We bred a few collies all um, and uh, I, I didn't get on with them terribly well. They, I've had a very good little collie called Morocco Smarty Pants who won three sheep trials for me, but I couldn't always leave them behind a moment, go ahead and open the gate. They were so faithful. The next thing you'd see them coming along behind, um, whereas your Kelpie, oh, they'll look over, oh, you're over there. And um, you go and open the gate, and the next thing the, the Kelpies worked it all out and got the sheep to the gate. But, um, Did you ever do any um, Kelpie collie crosses? No, I was tried to be talked into that um, by by Jeff Jolly. Oh, Mary, you'll never win win a, um, a trial unless you were working a, a collie or. And he actually used some of our Kelpies in his um, successful programs to winning Canberra and things. But mm -hmm. no, I I believe if you're going to breed a have a stud animal, be it a merino sheep, a quarter horse, a short horn beast, stick to the the one breed. And um, well, um, that's probably a mistake to say that with cattle. Some of these composite breeds of cattle you get these days are are very efficient. And we've spoken a lot about um, size tonight. Do you have a criteria that a bitch needs to meet to be able to or that you think she needs to meet to breed from her? Well, she has to do everything too. She has to be able to master, have cover, eye, cast, and and fulfil her obligations on the property before she's bred from. But, uh, what is your opinion of the influence a sire has over litter compared to the dam? if any well it depends whether they're prepotent like um you can get a sar that throws um very good dogs to to anything and possibly you've got bitches that can breed from anything and still throw really good dogs but as i said um joe asked about scanlon's tests Scanlon's test was a, a, a very well-bred Scanlon bitch. Um, now, I haven't got a pedigree to hand. I'm sorry, Joe, um, But she she honestly never threw us um, a pup to follow on, a bitch pup to follow on with. And um, that can happen. Definitely. So another question here, Chris Egan, he said, Hi Mary, I've previously asked people's opinions on where the best dogs are for stamina and Avon Park Kelpies is a common answer. Can you please tell me more if that noticeable stamina is coming from a particular line or dog or is it a general trait in the dogs? Also, do you have a dog or bitch at the moment with standout station work stamina? Um, we always... Um Stamina was something we always um, had and 
people like Chris Stapleton would have had to and Frank Scanlon and lots of people because they were all on horseback. And when he went off for a day's, they might be out behind the horse for eight hours in, in, out here and things. If you could hear that dog thumping along behind you early in the morning, you know that dog would not make the day because he was too heavy. Kelby should be athletic and um, and stamina, that's a very good question because stamina has been being lost in Kelpies because too many of them ride on bikes or in vehicles, which we're guilty of too now, and not um, kept fit. And see, in the old days, if they couldn't do the job, they got culled naturally. And, um, you know, the breeder didn't use them or found another home for them or sent them somewhere else. Um, and But I think stamina is something that is being lost <coughs> because a lot of these trialling dogs that do so well, you really don't know um, how long a day that they could take. Um, I've got a, a, a yard dog here that I tried trialling, but um, he, he will go in our bugle putting sheep through our bugle all day. But he was just, and, and he was just too much of a dog to um, do a 10 minute trial. That just wasn't his scene. So, but he's still on the place. He's also very good on cattle. If the cattle get up across the Belmont Creek onto the irrigation, he's one of the first dogs that will swim them back over the billboard. And um, so that's it. But I'd just like to mention one other thing. We've also got a lot to thank, well, Greg Prince for, but also at the moment, um, I, I think it is very important that you have somebody who can look at your dogs and say, look, oh, you're not that's not going so good or whatever and we've got a very good friend in Teasdale called John Agnew who's won the Captain Payne and won a lot of big three sheep trials but used to work copies in uh, down on the Werribee research farm and he has done a lot to help us and we're in our 80s now and so is he but he has actually started us on um, different method of training uh, where you do a lot more dry work without sheep, whereas um, Greg's was all with sheep. But Ken and I can't, and, and our friend John, we cannot afford to be knocked over by a pup um, yeah. doing the wrong thing in the round yard. I mean, I've got two titanium shoulders and a titanium knee, and Ken's got two new knees and not much good as shoulders these days so and a hip so we we, we we're very lucky to be going as well as we're going but we can't afford to be knocked over so what what does that dry work consist of 
It consists, and it's mainly New Zealand dry work. It's, the, the New Zealanders, of course, are very different in their a lot of their training, but this involves a little halter. And um, and the dog, you lun you work the dog on a lunge and you start teaching it to do circles on a halter. Because if you've got the pup on a halter, it can't turn away from you. And it, it's, you just use your rake or your um, stick with them, but you just start giving it commands left and right and and out and and those sort of commands um, or um, and make it a fun thing uh, and you get a lot done but it gives you quite and you can put your stop on early and you've got control and we, we've just found that it's been particularly John showed us how to do it because he's been taught by some of the top New Zealanders how to do it and um, and we found that it does work but again we, we basically still prefer to be training our young dogs on sheep yes did you just want to touch on that one um no that cool um oh actually you mentioned before we spoke about um zondo 31 years um old the semen you used What's your opinion on doing AI now for dogs that have been dead for some time compared to what's available at the moment? Um, I think it's quite important. Um, well, um, again, this is some, something I exported semen to Scotland in 1996 and they had very good results and some of the bloodlines over there uh, uh, are still going on through and the same same with America. I've sent semen to America and to South Africa and what with why we started doing that was because um, England had that six months quarantine when you sent a dog over and working dogs can go stark staring mad if they're shut up for, for six months and um, which it doesn't apply anymore now because uh, you can get a, a, your uh, rabies needle done before they go and it's not a problem. But, um, well, with COVID, um, again, the dispatch of dogs was a little bit uh, dicey because you didn't know whether, you know, borders were going to be closed or they weren't closed and, and I had um, Queensland people asking for semen to be sent up. So um, it was, but I'm, I'm happy. I've got some dogs in my semen bank that now that I've, I'd be happy to use again in about three or four years time, because I don't know um, the way, with the way the Kelpie's going at the moment, whether some of the traits are going to be lost. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned um, a couple of times you've done a bit of trialing, both three sheep and yard trialing. What did you What do you enjoy about trialing? Well, mainly um, 
the camaraderie and things. I <coughs> when I started trialing, in a lot of trials, I was the only woman competitor. But Mrs. Beetson and um, Mrs. Hudson were all, um, but there weren't there weren't many. Well, I'd say a lot of the trials, I was the only woman competitor, and um, oh, particularly the utility trials that were held at Coringal. The boys gave me a very hard time. We were camped in the quarters and they locked me out of my bedroom and we we had a lot of fun, don't get me wrong, but um, they were particularly, um, the, well, we had we used to enjoy a few drinks at night around the fire and, and people used to play the guitar and things like that, but uh, um, I didn't, I couldn't keep up with a lot of the blokes with their rum and I'd want to go to bed early and, well, I might go to bed early and then they'd thump on the door in the middle of the night and, oh, I did have a, they gave me heaps. The, Steve Condell was one of them and, and, and um, oh, quite a few other, he was one <laughs> and, uh, quite a few of the others, but uh, I think the utility trials are really the way to go because you are combining the ability of, uh, and these cattle trials that are coming now, yeah. I, I think that's a good thing that, that all that all-purpose stock dog thing where you, they have to work sheep, cattle and everything, I think that's excellent. That, that doesn't If you could make a change to trialling as we know it today, what would it be and why? Uh, well, it's got very professional now. The yard trialling is very professional. I keep thinking I'll make a comeback and then I go and look at the stand and I think, my God, I, I'm not... I'm, well, we haven't got a... I've got a three-sheep trial set up now, but... Colin's got all these stud poly rams in my in my round yard paddock and things, and they're far far more valuable than um, training dogs for for trials. But no, I think uh, I still enjoy watching the trials, and some of the setups have been really good. Um, Denelvin's got a good setup, and now they built a new one in Finlay in this. One at uh, up at Hay, uh, but then you know what you're going to get all the time when you get there. You, it's not got any um, any different things. Uh, when I first started yard dog trialing, we'd we'd put all sorts of haz hazards in that, as I said, like a, a foot bath of water in it yep. and things. And now it's become a set pattern of the drenching raised draft maybe up into a ute and, and whatever um but uh, well I was, we we still enjoy watching watching them and uh anyway do you have a favorite trial or um that you participated in well the last big one that i that I won was the Victorian Utility Trial Championship in 2002, but I always had a really soft spot for Moolamin, um, sheepdog trials. I did 
extremely well with both Collies and Kelpies there. And sometimes getting first, second and third. But Moolamine was run by the um, the fishing club and mo most of their trophies were uh, fishing lures or um, <laughs> shrimp nets or... Uh, um, Oh, which made it there. But no, that little ground at Moolamine, they, they've had some fantastic trials there and it was always friendly and not too competitive. That When I ran the General Auckland Three Sheep Trial, with Ken's help, we had used to go for five days and we had two arenas and we had very large prize money. Um, Copper Ice would give us a pallet plus they'd give us a thousand bucks and we'd also have um all the locals in and i feel that um the uh, we got western australians new zealanders and everything but the trial got just too big because it was um had too big a prize money and that took the fun out of it people were really out make it made it just too serious and i feel if you're going to go out on a Saturday and Sunday, you go out for fun. Yep, absolutely. And what do you feel your best trial achievement or a special moment would be? It was when I won that Victorian Utility oh, Trial. Well, yeah. yeah, no, with House of Rex and um, no, he it was good. And But oh, there were other trials at Kringle and at uh, Bulls Run utility trials that um and well I'd, i've never written all my trial wins and things down i really should get around to it but uh, because it was not such a serious thing for me it was just um um getting out and meeting the people and uh, learning more about what copies and and were around that uh, caught your eye and uh, you could come back and check up on things so in your travels filing um around going, getting around to them is there something that you see handles travel with and where you believe they can improve sorry just repeat that laura i find it very hard right. um in your travels throughout um throughout country trialing is there something that you've seen handlers struggle with and possibly still struggle with and where do you think they can improve? Well, I think uh, like most of your um, people on Dog Talk, the young people that are coming through now have so many opportunities with people to help them. And, um, uh, well, I know nerves were always something that bothered me. And, and um, but I think the more you actually compete, um, you you get you get more confidence and 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 uh, so you're not making so many mistakes because when you're nervous you are inclined to make mistakes. I think yeah, he's definitely. got. I think he's got COVID. <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> we get a day off now. He's close contact. Anyway. Um, um sorry. What advice would you give to someone that wanted to pursue a career in the livestock industry? Well, I would suggest with young people, and we're very lucky that we've got two sons and 
two, three, four granddaughters, all in to in uh, or interest in the land. I would suggest that people came out of um, school and got some work experience on another property um, or two, but then go to a university um, like we've got a grandson, um, a granddaughter at um, uh, Armadale Uni or uh, at the, some of the Marcus Oldham or some college like that because um, IT and and measurements and fleece measurements and ABVs and EBVs and things are all very technical and you really need the university skills to uh, get those. But um, my, our, quite a few of our grandkids have um, worked up in the in Kimberleys and Pete McCrabb worked um, on another start and then went and worked for in Western Australia and um, we're just lucky that our family, most of our family and the young families coming on are really keen on the land. Definitely. Well, oh, that's fantastic. You're spot on there. Like um, there's heaps of, I know even in the earth moving industry, you know, where um, young fellows are come for a family business and they always send them away to work for someone else to get a taste in the real world and, and come back and they're better for it. Yeah, no, we agree with that. Um, but I think before you go to uh, do your agriculture course, you really do need to, well, you've learned a lot working at home, but then kids always argue with their parents anyway, and they so they listen a bit better if they go and work somewhere else. <laughs> but, um, uh, and, but we actually, we've... Um, we, we suggest even people going up into the Kimberleys and working on cattle stations. It's done our, our kids a lot of, um, or our grandkids a lot of good. They learn their independence and um, then they can come down uh, and, and go to Armadale Uni and do ag science or uh, whatever, or we've got one grandchild doing vet and um, still enjoying coming home and working on the property. And um, I, I just think you have got to have that other bit of education on the land now because it really, I mean, this automatic <coughs> drafting and, um, and, and, and weighing and, and all these things, technical things that are going on in the improvement of the sheep and cattle and industries and um, are very important. Absolutely. Um, moving on, Mary, who would you like to see us sit down and have a chat with on Dog Talk like we are now? Oh, you haven't had Michael Hudson, have you? No, we haven't. Pip's son. Um, I mean, that's... Uh, asking for a collie person, but I don't like to be biased. But no, um, we'll talk to anyone. Um, but uh, Pip and the Hudson family have had a big influence on trialing and absolutely. And um, I just thought, as a, for a family, 
because Pip's been here with a Kelpie many, many years ago. Like Greg Prince had Kelpies from here when he was on his property before he got into his collies. So, um, no, I just think uh, he might just be of an interest to different listeners. Absolutely, oh. and I'll, I'll have another chat with Mika. He's, uh, <laughs> he's keen to always uh, have a chat, and uh, I reckon he'd be great to have on as well. Now, well, that's um, good. I know we'd like to get John Agnew on, onto your program too because he's uh, he, he's so knowledgeable, but I know he wouldn't come on to something like this, so we wouldn't put him through that misery. <laughs> I believe you've had some restless nights leading up to it. Uh, well, but we'd, yeah. like, hmm? we'd like to thank you, Mary, for all your time and getting it all sorted, the technology and everything. It's, we you, really appreciate it. Absolutely, your resilience to keep battling the technology. Yeah. You know, like we've had plenty of phone calls and we've uh, been on and off computers and iPads and phones many a times and you've stuck with it. And uh, that's we a really testimony to your training ability, I suppose. You, you kind of stick with something. You don't just give up on it. So hats off to you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for being so patient with the elderly person here that's still not really IT well it, I'm not right with things if everything is going right but if the computer decides it's going to do something different I have not <laughs> no you've done great that's not a problem at all but but it has come to that time tonight was there a question that stuck out to you tonight and they, um, that person will win a bag of enduro plus working dog I think the most important thing that was just well, asked today was that question of stamina yeah. it, it, is, it, is, it is a thing that is bothering um me or i i look at my own dogs and and that's something that some of the dogs are getting too big and heavy and particularly for yard um, backing and, and and yard work it knocks them about those big heavy dogs and um, yeah. Um, and I think there's a question on there. We've always preferred them to run up and run up the side of a race because they're not getting knocked about as much if you've got long days. If they'll Definitely. do both, if they'll do both, that's great. That's right. And Chris Egan's on a roll. So Chris, we've got your details. Um, bag of Enduro uh, working dog coming your way. And Mary, uh, also one coming your way for being on tonight as a part of an appreciation, a token from ourselves and Enduro. Well, thank you very much to you both and your program's very interesting and the mag magazine's extremely interesting. Thank we you, actually, appreciate that. We've actually, uh, we, we actually shout John Agnew a copy and, uh, and, and, and uh, he, he's, or he wouldn't go out and buy it himself, but we, we just think it keeps his interest in dogs. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. So once again, thank you for jumping on. Appreciate it. And to all of our listeners tonight, um, before we go, one last question. Yes. Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Well, I think I could cope with three horses the size of a duck. <laughs> three horses the size of a duck. <laughs> Part of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> that's 
That's all right. I'm sure you've got a couple of handy dogs there that can muster and um, maybe shed three off for you. Anyway, you take care of yourselves and thank you very much for having me. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And thanks to all our listeners and viewers tonight. And please remember, we learn every day. And the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good night.